is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you, man, I'm tired of being right. Welcome in. We are live here on this Thursday as we work towards the end of the week and a big show for you today. Of course, a lot centered around the Atlanta Braves. Good friend Maria Martin from 11 Alive Sports will join us here as well. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. And make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Um, there's some interesting football news, but not the kind you'd think coming up here before the end of the show. But let's start with the Atlanta Braves because it is 14 in a row. When will it end? No one knows. Uh, they head to Chicago for a three-game series starting tomorrow. And, uh, well, look, they have done it every which way possible. And before we get into some of the numbers here, when I said at the top of the show, man, I'm tired of being right, I told you guys yesterday about Spencer Strider and his K-prop over five and a half. The young man got 11. He threw 106 pitches. And, and I can't believe Snicker let him throw 106 pitches. That, to me, was kind of surprising in and of itself. Um, but he goes five and two thirds. He gets the win. Only gives up one hit, which is crazy. But throws 106 pitches, and the Braves go on to win eight to two. As you get a couple of home runs from uh, Austin Riley, and then Orlando Arcia, and this Arcia thing is working out pretty well. By the way, in case you haven't noticed that the Braves lineup and what they've set up right now at the top, you got Acuna and Swanson, who are both over 300, or Swanson's right at 300. And at the bottom, you have Arcia and Harris, who are both over. 300 and everybody else in the middle is kind of just like, bleh. but nonetheless, it's working. And speaking of the lineup and, and looking at the numbers, guys, I mean, this is just, it literally is insane when you think about it. This was a team that was batting 235 as a team through the end of May. That was bottom 10 in the league in batting average. Since then, they've raised their batting average 14 points, almost 15 points at 249, 250. What have they done during this streak? Well, I told you, they are batting 292. They got an OBP of 355 and an OPS of 925. I mean, you know, again, the strikeouts, they're still there. This may be a, a hit a home run kind of strikeout team, but nonetheless, they have 35 home runs during this winning streak 35 and oh by the way they have hit a home run in every game in this streak all but two of them and in both those games they scored three runs they beat the the rockies three three to one and they beat the pirates three to one other than that they've scored more than four runs in every single game i'm sorry they beat oakland three to two so uh nonetheless and it's weird because they had three home runs in that game all solo shots crazy anyway they scored a ton of runs. Um, you're looking at a team that has scored 101 runs over that. That's seven two-point runs per game, guys. I mean, the numbers are just completely insane. And again, let me give you a little frame of reference on 
the home runs. They've hit 35 during the streak. They've hit 63 for the season. Over half their home runs on the year have come during this winning streak. These do not come along often. Cherish them and value them. The pitching has been even better. During the win streak, the team ERA is 2.72. Up to the point of May 31st, the team ERA was 3.98. They've shaved off over, over a run off their ERA during this winning streak of what they were giving up. Their team ERA is now down to 3.7. So it's almost a third of a run lower, which is huge. Absolutely huge. During the winning streak, they've given up 41 runs, the pitchers have. Just for frame of reference, just for frame of reference, the Braves gave up 35 runs during a five-game run in the middle of May against Boston and San Diego. 35 in five games, and they allowed 41 over the course of the last 14. I mean, it... it it's just hard to explain. It really is. They are they are playing at a different level. Everything is clicking. You know, they, they have hit all the right buttons during this win streak. And it's officially at the point, guys, where, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, just sit back and enjoy it. Dissect the numbers all you want. Sit back and enjoy it because I don't know that any of this matters. I don't know that there's anything about – um this win streak that you can quantify is sensical. I really don't. Like at this point, when you're at 14, it's just, it's going to end at some point. When, who knows? I mean, are they a better team than Chicago? Yeah. Um, and should they be able to beat Chicago? Yeah. But who knows if you're going to be able to do it for another three games. And, and after you get through another three games, you know, then you start to play a little bit stiffer competition. And then everybody's looking at the schedule and, you know, more of, hey, look who you're doing it again. Who cares? In order to win 14 in a row, you have to play a variety of teams. And even if you didn't, guess what? Like I've said many times during this streak, guys, the Braves did not pick these opponents. They did not pick them. What is crazy about the next three days, they have three straight day games, all at 220 Eastern. Um, and that usually sometimes is a little bit of a head scratcher and uh, how it's going to go. So, um, you know, some guys react different during the day, creatures of habit, especially on the road. Sometimes day games at home are a little bit easier to stomach. You sleep in your own bed. You're a little bit more comfortable. Day games on the road are weird. They always have been. But you're going to get Charlie Morton, uh, Kyle Wright, and Ian Anderson uh, going up against the Cubbies. So enjoy it. Keep your fingers crossed and absolutely enjoy it. Uh, one thing I did enjoy from Falcons training camp was – Arthur Smith. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to some other colleagues out there, my good friend Michael Rothstein from uh, ESPN and ESPN.com. We were having the conversation about Arthur Smith. You know, you get into the press conference with him, and he's got this very dry, deadpan sense of humor uh, and lays it on. And he says really nothing. Like, as far as coaches who say nothing, like Dan Quinn said nothing, but he talked a lot. Arthur Smith says very little and says nothing. Uh, and it's all very straightforward. And that's not a knock on him at all. It's, it's you know, what coaches are supposed to do. Every now and then you can try to get him off his, his script, uh, but it doesn't happen often. But he sits back in these press conferences and he relaxes and he cracks a couple of jokes and he disarms everybody in the room. And, and that's kind of what you're supposed to do, especially at this point in the season, right? Because 
and, and people were saying some people don't like, you know, my, my media colleagues was, and I were talking. Some people don't like the fact that he's so laid back and he's so jokey around and this, that, and the other. Because we want our football coaches to be serious because football is serious and it's it's very important and it's, it's serious business for serious people. And so we, we get this, this sort of thought process that our coaches have to portray and echo that seriousness and that severity. And if they don't, you know, uh, they're not going to be long for this job. I would argue uh, with this roster, you better have a sense of humor because it's probably not going to be a lot to smile about otherwise. Uh, and again, that's not, you know, a knock. It's just this is not one of the more talented rosters in the league. That doesn't mean they can't win games. It's just not a very talented roster uh, at this point. Maybe some of these guys step up and play to levels we didn't think was possible. Heck, happened in 2016. A bunch of guys played to a level we didn't think was uh, expected, including Matt Ryan, and they go to the Super Bowl. So I kind of appreciate Arthur Smith. You know, I, I, I always liked him from a distance, but getting for the last two days going out to training camp and, or mini camp rather and getting a chance to, to see him one-on-one and just kind of look in his eyes and read his body man- mannerisms and read his, his body language and, and everything else, um, you get a little bit more of an appreciation for him. You get a little bit more uh, an idea of where he is. And uh, it's okay to be publicly a little bit goofy if behind closed doors you're all buttoned up, right? Like what you always see on the outside doesn't necessarily have to match what you see on the inside. And I think that's fair for Arthur Smith at this point, because I would I would argue that and I have not had a conversation with him, but I would argue that as the son of the founder of FedEx, there's a certain amount of straight laced business that is just naturally inherent when your old man started that company. Right. You got to dot the I's across the T's. You, you don't get to be high, a high level logistician of a billion dollar company uh, without making sure all the details are right. And I'm sure a lot of that was passed on to Arthur Smith, regardless of what you see inside a press conference. Uh, my fellow colleague, Maria Martin of 11 Alive Sports, was out at training camp with me. Of course, she's out at Truist Park when the Braves are here. She's one of the hardest working people in the biz and great gal pal of mine. She's coming up next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. We'll be right back. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. You search Locked On Sports Atlanta. And my next guest, one of the hardest working folks in the biz, I called her a gal pal a moment ago, but she's just more than that. She's actually Atlanta's best sports reporter. She is Maria Martin joining us here from 11 Alive on What's Ace. up? Hi, hey, Zeno. How are you? I'm doing great. How a rare you? off day? Like, you look like you're actually having an off day. Is this like a rare off day? No, this is not an off day. I actually have to go cover World Cup stuff, so I'm doing that in the next couple hours, but I'm not off. I'm going to be mentioning that. You kind of just told the audience what's coming up next, but that's okay. It's a different kind of football. It's all right. No worries. <laughs> Uh, that said, uh, we have been out at Falcons camp for the last two days. We'll get to that in a moment, but 14 in a row, Maria. I mean, what can you say? Uh, what is the most surprising part of this winning streak for you? I think the most surprising part is the amount of home runs that they're hitting and at a consistent basis. I mean, we're getting multiple games where there's guys hitting back-to-back jacks. And throughout the lineup, I think there's 11 different players that have hit the long ball in this 14-game winning streak. I think that's the most impressive and shocking part to me. And it's coming from a lot of guys that you wouldn't necessarily have uh, guessed at the beginning of the streak, too. And even with Ozzie Albies getting out of the lineup, getting hurt, fracturing his foot, now you have Orlando Arcia having, like, four hit games. I mean, 
this is this is crazy. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who gets called up. Michael Harris is having just an unbelievable tear, having skipped AAA, and now he's a big leaguer in, for just a couple of weeks. Everybody is contributing. Everybody's hitting the home run ball. It's truly surprising, but I uh, can't say that I don't hate it. No, and again, I, I think for me the biggest and, and best part of the of the whole winning streak, really to me, is is Ronald Acuna um, and seeing him sort of find his way yeah. uh, a little bit. You know, you look at the games that he's played. And, uh, granted, you know he was uh, came back earlier than expected in the injuries, but you know, look, he's batted two eighty three. He's got a three seventy one OBP. He's got an OPS of nine eighteen during this win streak, which was. You know, he was 826 coming up there. So he's risen his, his, uh, his OPS nearly 100 points uh, during this win streak. And I think this team goes as he goes. And so as long as he's the guy doing everything at the top of the lineup, I think everybody else benefits from that. Yeah, I think that the only thing that you hope for Ronald Acuna Jr. is he does stay healthy. And I think coming out of the injury, he kept consistently saying, I feel better than I ever have. And of course, you want to hear that as a Braves fan and if you're a Ronald Acuna Jr. fan, but now you're starting to see that come into fruition. He definitely does set the tone at the top of the lineup and people do feed off of his energy. I mean, he's hitting the LeBron, the ice tray. I mean, he's just so um, electric every time he goes to the plate. And it's exciting to see him string together successful at-bats at the top of the lineup, but then everybody kind of trickles down off of that. I mean, how much do you think Brian Snicker really has to do with this winning streak? Again, in reality, like they, they've hit 35 home runs during this winning streak. They have 63 on the season. Like nearly half yeah. of their home runs have come during this winning streak. This is a team that's got an ERA of 2.7 during the win streak. You know, they, they've they've given up just 35 runs. Heck, they gave up uh, – I'm sorry, they gave up 41 runs. They gave up 35 runs – in a five-game span against the Padres and and Red Sox earlier this year. I know Snicker's the manager, but in reality, these guys just started to play better. So how much credit do you give Snicker for all this? Yeah, I mean, they're leading the league in home runs with 35. I think the Yankees are just behind them at 30. Um, yeah, I think Snit has a little bit to do with it because if you remember, he was talking about this meeting that he held. I think when we were there a couple weeks ago, he talked about this being out in Arizona. He just decided that the team wasn't playing to the caliber that he thought that they could be playing. So he called this emergency meeting. We still don't necessarily know what exactly was said. I'm sure that'll come out here in the next couple of days. But after that meeting, everything started to turn around the Braves. So you have to wonder if Snit really did give them, and, and I can't I can't really think that a lot of major leaguers would be super uh, motivated by some just collective speech by the manager, but clearly it worked to some weird degree because after that they've strung together 14 straight wins. I mean, they've been successful on the road. They've been successful at home. Um, they're almost at that 15, which is the franchise record. Tying it is what they would do if they got 15 straight wins. So I don't know. I'd like to think that Snit has something to do with it. I don't think it's everything because Again, they're major league baseball players and right. you know they can motivate themselves. But still, it's that interesting meeting that we don't necessarily know what was said. But after that, it seems like they've kind of figured it out. No, and again, I don't say it to take anything away from Snit or or the job that he's done. I've I've sure. look, the only thing I've ever been critical about Snit on is the way he manages the bullpen. I think that's still fair. Even successful managers yeah. uh you know get critiqued on the way they manage bullpen, but that doesn't mean he's a bad manager or he doesn't have anything to do with this per se. It's just one of those things where Sometimes everything just clicks right. Maybe it is a word from the manager. Who knows? But final thought here on the Braves. You know, it's weird because now that they're they're 10 games above 500, they're just four games out of first place in the NL East. And it's one of those things where 
the expectation just seems to waffle. You know, you come back in the beginning of the year and it's a, oh, repeat as champions. And then it's, <laughs> well, let's get back to 500. Now it's, yeah. oh, we have to defend our crown. Like, you know, if you want to keep moving those goalposts as a fan, I, I, I get it. But I am just generally like, remember how hard it is to defend a World Series crown and why you haven't seen back-to-back World Series winners since 99 and 2000. So it's been two decades it's a really, really tough task, and people just need to remember that. I know they're playing better, but what are your expectations, or have they changed at all? I don't think they've changed at all. I mean, even when they were struggling for me, I thought that they could make a deep run in the postseason because this is a team that's taken us on a roller coaster in the last couple of years, particularly last year. I think the roller coaster was a little bit more windy than I think all of us would have liked. Um, I didn't necessarily think they would go back to back just because I did know how hard that was. And just because they're winning 14 straight doesn't necessarily scream a World Series title to me. I think that they still have a lot to prove. I think if they can continue to, you know, close in on the Mets and the Mets will eventually fall apart, which is what I still think will happen. Um, yeah, I still don't think it's necessarily a guaranteed back-to-back World Series title, but I, I still think that this is a team that's going to be super dangerous come October. I, I cannot wait for the next Mets series, whether it's at City Field or here at Truist Park. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm waiting for it because everybody is telling me the Mets are going to collapse, and they probably are. I, I, look, I don't have a dog. I'm a Yankees fan, so I don't care if the Mets collapse. But that said, it's going to be fun to watch. All right, let's pivot yeah. to the Falcons. Uh, two days of minicamp today, the final day. Obviously, we're not allowed out there for media. but And, and again, I don't expect too much from minicamp, but just sort of, sort of your takeaways. And I know a lot of the focus was on Ritter and how much he was going to play. But where do you sit on this team right now and sort of, progressively what we can look forward to after the dead period ends up and we get back at training camp. Well, I can't wait for training camp. And I think everyone's probably under that same umbrella because finally they get to put the pads on, go full tackle, and we'll actually get some answers as to what this team might physically look like. Um, we know who they are. We're starting to figure out who they are. Obviously, it'll it'll get whittled down because they have, what, 13 guys that can catch the football. That's not going to be the case um, even as we get into training camp. But I think my overall thought is I'm really impressed by just the work ethic and the energy of the guys that are out there. This seems to be a team that's incredibly motivated. And by what, I'm not entirely sure because the Stockens team has been... To not be the know, laughing stock of the league, I guess, right? May, maybe that's it. And I think what it is is a lot of young guys coming in that don't know any better and maybe that's a good thing and maybe that's what the Falcons really need because all of them want to prove themselves in the league they have a great opportunity to do that and it's crazy because some of the guys like Kyle Pitts who have only been here a year you're seeing the younger guys step up be leaders be vocal leaders I think that's really impressive and hopefully in training camp it continues saw a lot of trash talking out there on the final day of OTAs love to see that even though it's not necessarily anything um, live you know they're still doing seven on seven you you can figure some things out, but you don't get a ton of answers. So can't wait for training camp. But my overall thought is I'm impressed by how much energy and competitiveness they have within each other right now. As far as Desmond Ritter is concerned, uh, we heard Arthur Smith talk a lot about his his ability to understand the offense, talk a lot about his ability to comprehend it and how smart he is and how heady he is and everything else. And the only analogy that comes to my mind is when your friends, from a guy's point of view, want to hook you up with a girl and they lead with, She's got a great personality. (laughs) What does that really mean? She ain't all that attractive. And what I feel like Arthur Smith may be coding is that, look, he understands everything, but physically he might have a little bit of trouble translating to this level. Again, I'm speculating he has never said anything like that, but you get the same sort of sense that, you know, he's never really focused and highlighted on his physical attributes. I got to be honest, I I really don't. And I, I think yesterday when I tweeted out, 
literally what Arthur Smith said. He said from the neck up, he's uh, light years ahead of any other rookie quarterback. And a lot of people were tweeting back at me and saying, okay, figure it out from the neck down. And he wasn't saying that he hasn't figured it out. It's just when you're a rookie quarterback, that is a big transition to go from college to pro. And so I think he still has room to grow. He's even said that, that he does have a lot of room to grow. And that's just obvious when you're going from college to the NFL. We don't necessarily know exactly what he's going to look like, but he can command the huddle, which is what Arthur Smith said, which is a huge thing. And that's such a big transition from college to pro. I even asked Desmond Ritter, I think it was a couple days ago, what the biggest transition for him was. And he admitted, he said, listen, it was the play calling. So he's had to do, you know, extra homework at home to make sure that he can take command of the huddle. And obviously the signals are a little bit different from college to the NFL. So um, I didn't necessarily get the sense that he wasn't overall thrilled with his physical ability. Obviously, no, he wouldn't be yeah. here. I mean, I, I, I agree. I just, there are things with young quarterbacks that sort of jump off the page physically, yeah. right? And 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 again, he's not a first-round pick, so there's nothing over-the-top physically gifted about him. Otherwise, he would have been a first-round pick. I mean, that's that's fair to say, I think. Sure. Um, but that said, you know, when you keep talking about the head up, I mean, from the right shoulder down to the right fingertips and the hips down to the feet, I mean, if all that stuff requires a lot of work, we're talking about a guy that's not ready to play at this point in the NFL. And I think in the big picture from the 30,000 foot view, it's like, well, if he's not ready to play, then what position are we in next year with 174 first round quarterbacks coming out theoretically? Yeah, I I think that that's totally fair. And again, I think it's so hard to really um, assess it so far. I mean, all the stuff I've seen is just like routes on air and seven on seven. You don't get a good grasp of a quarterback from stuff like that. Wait until we see him uh, getting chased around and and Mm -hmm. he has to roll out and make decisions that the coaches can't make for him. So we'll see what happens. Um, But all the players have said he has a strong arm. It does look like he does have that. Um, I'm honestly more concerned about Marcus Mariota. I know people don't want to hear that. And I think people really want him to be successful. I'm not saying that he's that I don't want him to be successful nobody wants that but I just don't think that he's very impressive I wasn't even impressed with him he's in not impressive. On seven on seven so. no he's not impressive there's a, if he was yeah. impressive he would be starting somewhere else it's if true. he was this impressive, wouldn't be... they wouldn't have drafted like it, good quarterbacks are not available on the open market to be signed yeah. for four million dollars like it's just it, there's a reason why he was available and why it was so easy to get him and why he's a bridge for what he is. And and yeah. I, I think that's totally fair. And on the upside, I'd tell us, look, if Mariota stinks, the more you can throw Ritter to the wolves and see what it is, then I think the better off long-term this team is. I agree. And look, he's going to have to run for his life a little bit because this offensive line, as we know, is not going to go from being terrible to being amazing. So it, he's going to have some times where he's really got to think on his feet and, and make sure that he's making decisions again that the coaches can't make for him. So this is the perfect team to get thrown into the wolves by uh, because they're going to do that time and time again every Sunday. I want you to ask a coach that you know pretty well if my uh, analogy about head up and <laughs> she's got a great personality fits. Uh, I just <laughs> He knows, speak, he knows coach speak better than you and I do for that matter. That, so. that is true. That is true. Anyways. He usually dissects the coach speak for me. Just so you know. <laughs> there you go. She's Maria Martin, 11 Alive, best sports reporter in Atlanta. Thanks for the time as always. Certainly appreciate it. Uh, you enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go get some good uh, football information for us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. You bet, Zeno. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Back with said football information next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Of course, give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Before we get to football news of a different variety, let's hand out a shovel of wisdom. 
brace yourselves because it's time for the Shovel of Wisdom. You know how we do it every day. We uh, whack somebody right upside the head with a shovel, a metaphorical shovel, if you will, for doing or saying something stupid. You can do so as well on my Twitter account, at Mark Zeno. Just use the hashtag Shovel of Wisdom. And today my shovel goes to Vince McMahon. You guys know Vince, right? McMahon, WWE CEO Vince McMahon. Big guy. Old guy. 76-year-old old guy. And I start that well because usually when you hear about a 76-year-old powerful old guy, you kind of know where this is going next. Well, the WWE board has opened up an inquiry into Vince McMahon and his alleged $3 million settlement for an ex-employee's silence. Why would he be silencing a former employee? Well, because that former employee who just, I'm sure it's coincidence, happens to be a she, uh, was given a separation agreement, and it's meant to prevent the former employee from saying anything disparaging or discussing her relationship with McMahon during the time that she worked there. Um, apparently, McMahon, who again, who was 76, hired the 41-year-old um, on a $100,000 salary to be a paralegal, and uh, he raised her salary uh, to $200,000 after the start of an alleged intimate relationship with her. Right. What I always do after I started dating somebody was just give them more money. Uh, yeah, that's not kind of not how it works when you're not rich. But anyway, uh, it says that the uh, board's investigation began back in April and has uncovered other non-disclosure agreements over the years involving misconduct claims from former employees against McMahon and John Laronitis, who is WWE's head of talent relations. Uh, at one point, an email to the board regarding the former WWE employee who was hired as a paralegal alleged that McMahon gave the woman a Laurinaitis quote like a toy. Uh, if they continue to investigate this, it's not going to go well for McMahon, Laurinaitis, or anybody else involved. And, well, for all intents and purposes, it shouldn't go well. Don't be a creep. Don't be that guy. Uh, it's really irritating at this point. Dude, if you're 76, just live out the rest of your life in peace and harmony. And if you need that sort of attention, there are much more discreet ways to get it than doing it with people within your own company. So stupid. No, no, no. Has nobody ever heard of the phrase, don't crap when you eat? Especially if you eat millions. Anyway, speaking of millions. Um, there is a nasty little football secret coming to Atlanta, possibly. It's not the American football kind. It's the soccer football kind. It's the World Cup 2026, looks like. It could be headed here to Atlanta. Something I think we'll find out by the end of today. Uh, apparently, the 2026 World Cup soccer has been awarded to North America. And there's 16 American cities that are in the bid for hosting some of the matches, Atlanta being one of them. Uh, and if you look at the rest of the cities, um, you're looking at Boston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Denver, Houston, KC, LA, Miami, Nashville, New York, Orlando, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle, and uh, the greater DC area of Baltimore, DC. Uh, there are also three bidders in Mexico, Guadalajara, Mexico City, Monterey, and three in Canada, in Edmonton, Toronto, and Vancouver. So I would assume um, the 16 candidates vying for the slots uh, you will get two or three cities in Canada being played, 
two or three. Well, there's 80 matches, I should say. Um, 48 teams, 80 matches. Um, you get two or three cities in Canada, we'll get them. Two or three cities in Mexico, we'll get them. We know that's probably a lock, stock, and barrel. And the rest of them will go to American cities, Atlanta being one of them. Atlanta is a great event city. It's a great host city. Um, and it is a, it, it's a great city for big international events like this because it's such a melting pot, right? Um, the cost is going to be through the roof. Uh, and that's going to be offset in many different ways that maybe the average person won't get. Like, it's not going to be in your straight taxes, but if you ever stay in a hotel in Atlanta uh, or you have to park in Atlanta or anything else, those prices are all going to go up for this. Um, and, and if you're going to buy anything in Atlanta, like, you know, uh, sales tax may go up. So it, it's going to make certain things in the city more expensive for the time being until they can cover the cost of what it takes to pay for the event. I don't know if that's good or bad. The other real hiccup here is that if they want to do it at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which obviously would be the most viable of places to do it, but it's not really all that viable because the World Cup says that you have to play on grass. And Mercedes-Benz Stadium is not grass. It's the field turf. And uh, apparently, though, uh, MBS is already ready to temporarily put grass in. How they're going to do it, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not on the ground screw or anything else. But what they say is that the, the playing surface would be raised. They'd bring in dirt and sand as the foundation facade, put it over the field turf, and then take it all off. Now, this is all happening in August, which means there's football right around the corner in September. So uh, I don't know on the timing of it. Maybe the Falcons play a very early preseason game that year, um, like the first week at home and the other two were on the road, probably. I can speculate. But according to, um, you know, the people who are in charge of all this, it's not as complicated as you think to put grass down on Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's pretty complicated to me. What the hell do I know? So, uh, and, and, oh, by the way, I know everybody loves soccer, with the exception of me and most of the rest of America. But I'll say this much about the World Cup. I, I was enlightened to how dirty of an organization FIFA is, and I know nobody really cares. But it's absolutely worth a watch. Um, if anything, for a laugh, go back and check out John Oliver, the political comedian, and forget politics for a second because it's not about politics. He basically ripped FIFA to shreds on how much of a, a just maniacal, disgusting organization they are. Uh, and all the bad and evil things that they do on a routine basis. But the world loves the World Cup and the world loves soccer. And so they kind of get away with it all. But if you go to YouTube on John Oliver and just type in FIFA, John Oliver, uh, you'll, you'll, the, the segment is really well done. It's, it's very, very comical, to say the least. It's, it's very, um, the writing on it is fantastic. You'll enjoy it and you'll learn a little bit about it. So uh, nonetheless, you know, FIFA is, is gross and disgusting, but soccer and the World Cup are. A lot of fun and it's the only time everybody in america is uniquely and and wholeheartedly given or or has interest in soccer because well it's america and it's the world cup all right that'll do it for us today here on this thursday make sure you check out all the shows on the locked on network including a to z you got hitting harder john juckery john juckery not john, john juckery john juckery uh, ATL Day ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanisha Batiste, our Braves postcast after every single win streak game. Well, after every game, but you know, the win streak's been a lot more fun. And of course, Locked on Hawks and Locked on Falcons, Brad Rowland and Aaron Freeman, respectively. Give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Geno. Back tomorrow, Friday, to get you guys ready for the weekend right here on A to Z. You guys have a great day. Don't take any crap from anybody. See ya.